Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Javier Sanchez. Javier is recognized both nationally and internationally as a leader in developing effective strategies for youth and community mobilization. He's the founder of REACH Communications, Inc., which stands for, for Reaching Excellence in Attitude, Character, and Health. Javier has written two books, a children's book for fathers and daughters entitled Look in My Mirror, and a book designed to help students, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs add process to their passion entitled From This Moment On. His love for stand-up comedy has given him the opportunity to perform at comedy clubs all over the United States, as well as the world-famous Lincoln Theater in New York City and even Disney World. When he's not doing the work he loves, Javier is most likely at home playing board games with his family, reading a good book, or teaching himself how to play piano. Welcome to this episode, Javier. Thank you so much for having me, Elena. <laughs> uh, Javier, tell me about growing up Latino in Ohio. Um, I would say growing up Latino in Columbus. Columbus um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was even more uh, interesting um, because uh, uh, to generalize it, I grew up feeling like I was the only one. Even though mm -hmm. I have an older brother and a younger sister, I don't know how long we've been in Columbus. I've been here my entire life, except I used to live in the West Indies too, in the Cayman Islands, okay. uh, for 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 about six years. But for my childhood and teen years, uh, grew up in Columbus, and at that time there was n you know no Latinos living right. here or a very small population, and we weren't as connected right um mm -hmm. as, as they are now so like i left in 94 i moved out of the country in 94 mm -hmm. and you know um having very little exposure to uh latino culture because mm -hmm. uh, all my family's from south texas and right. um, i came back in 2000 and it was a whole different An explosion world. yeah <laughs> well i was like you know with the dual signage Right. The, you know, Spanish and, English, and I'm like, what did, did I land in the wrong city? Because this is not <laughs> the city I grew up in. It right. blew my brains out. Uh, um, you know, I'm like, where have you all been all my life? You know, <laughs> so it, it, it was it was a welcome change and shift. But um, it was challenging in that, you know, not always knowing or understanding where I fit in, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. because You, you my classmates and you know my neighbors and friends or whoever they didn't really have a point of reference for who I was you know they knew I wasn't right. white you know what I'm saying because mm -hmm. they look at my skin mm -hmm. and they look at my name and and you know they they didn't know uh if I was like black and white mixed because you see someone that looks like me they say right. oh well he must be mixed black and white or you know and so always having to clarify you know who I was, but really mm -hmm. not even knowing myself because I don't have or didn't have mm -hmm. a deep rooted attachment or connection with my, 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 uh, my Mexican heritage. Right. Uh, where in South Texas is your family from? 
uh, well, uh, Premont, which is a, a little tiny, tiny town. Uh, um, and uh, But now my family lives in Corpus. Corpus yeah. Christi, yeah. yeah Corpus. I have family in the Rio Grande Valley, so that's what I'm asking. So South Te- I'm familiar with South Texas. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Javier, you have a diverse professional background, including working with youth empowering programs, stand-up comedy, which I want to hear about, <laughs> and filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and today we want to focus on your most recent project, the film, The Right yeah. to Remain. Yeah. But tell me about this journey of working with youth, comedy, and filmmaking how are they connected? So they're connect. I'm a creative. I've always <laughs> been artistic. I've always um, had a connection with the arts, uh, from drawing to, you know, I, you know, in fifth grade, I I, I started rapping. Um, uh, you know, I, I heard my first rap song or whatever, and I said I loved it, and so I started writing raps, and you know, and really actually like became, a, you know, that was my hip hop was my whole world. Um, mm. uh, but then, uh, you know, you turn 30 and you don't have a record deal, you become a poet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, I transitioned into spoken word poetry, uh, uh, as, as an adult. And I love, I loved it actually, because it gave, uh, I, you know, I always used hip hop, uh, or I always wanted to use hip hop to, uh, inspire and, 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 uh, and so to strip away the music and the beat and the the the, the rhyme cadence uh, of a rap song uh, and and just be able to speak mm. those words and have nothing else distracting you from the message mm-hmm. that's why that's what I loved about spoken word poetry and so mm-hmm. I've always been and then comedy I, you know I was class clown in school and stuff <laughs> and um, I, I was involved I got involved in a program my senior year of high school called youth to youth and mm-hmm. youth to youth is actually started here in Columbus in 1982. And now it's like in 17 different countries and 37 different States all over wow. the world. And it's still, you know, going to this day. And, um, prior to that, uh, most of my high school years were spent really struggling with identity and who mm-hmm. I was, where I was headed, what my story was. And, you know, when you don't know who you are, you take suggestions from other people. Mm. And so I took suggestions from people that said, because of the color of your skin, because of the neighborhood you live in, I grew up on the hilltop on the west side of Columbus and then mm-hmm. moved out to the east side, like Long and Champion, Mount Vernon area in, in high school. Um, and then, um, you know, and got caught. And I grew up in the 80s during the crack epidemic. And I got caught up in all things related to that. Um, because, again, I had no idea who I was. I had no right. firm foundation. And so I just went anywhere the wind blows and the wind blew in into you know gangs and drugs and I got shot when I was 15 all kind of crazy stuff and then uh uh connected with the youth to youth program you know my senior year and at that time I was just wiped out physically mentally spiritually emotionally and I was just looking for something new different and better for myself I knew there had to be something other than the life I was living when I found this program this leadership program for young people um, I, I was immediately drawn to it by, by the caring adults that were there, the mentors that saw more in me than I saw in myself. And so that's when I decided to use all this talent and, you know, all these gifts uh, that I had, uh, to, uh, inspire people. Um, and, 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 and so I, that's when that, that journey started. And so I do have, you know, uh, you know, I'm, 
comedy, poetry, and, and all these things, um, filmmaking. Um, I, at different times, I've had different conversations with people in different seasons of my life. And, you know, there was a season where it was all about hip hop. Then there was another mm -hmm. season where it was all about comedy. Then there was another season where it was, you know, filmmaking. And, and so I had these different seasons where I put energy into different uh, talents that I have for different mm -hmm. reasons. And um, I really couldn't latch on to what my one thing was um, because depending on, you know, the day I wake up one day and say, okay, it's all comedy. To, you know, now I'm all mm -hmm. about comedy and really just spread myself thin trying to do too many things for too many different reasons um, until I read a book called The One Thing <laughs> and um, really good book. Wish I could uh, say who the author is right now, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. And that book really helped me zero in on what my one thing was. One of my mentors suggested it because he saw me like going in five, six different directions at the same time mm -hmm. and not getting anywhere. And I opened the book and the first page of the book had this Russian proverb, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't quote it, but it said something along the lines of the man that chases two rabbits doesn't catch either one. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, um, and so I, I, when I read that quote on the very first page, I'm like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't even need to read it. <laughs> I get it. Um, but then the book helps you clarify what your one thing is. And what I figured out was my one thing is impact. That's uh, mm -hmm. so whether I'm doing comedy or poetry mm -hmm. or hip hop or film, it, it has to be about impact. And that really mm -hmm. helped me cut out a lot of the extra stuff I was doing. Like, for example, I stopped doing club gigs uh, for stand up. You know, I used to travel all over the country uh, performing mm -hmm. in comedy clubs and everything. And I stopped doing that just because I, I no longer wanted to entertain just for the sake of entertainment. So now anytime mm -hmm. I'm invited to do comedy, it's for like a benefit show or, mm -hmm. or, or it has to be supporting something mm -hmm. other than just the sake of entertainment. And same with, uh, you know, poetry, same with film. Um, it all has to have uh, impact as the uh, ends. The means might be different. The means mm -hmm. could be you know, working in schools with young people. Uh, writing a book, doing poetry, doing comedy. The means may be different, but the end has to be impact. Right, right. Um, Javier, this, uh, this film, The Right to Remain, um, mm -hmm. tell me about, about making the film. What drew you to write the script and tell this story? Why this story from this town? <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. I was... I was a producer from LA reached out to me a, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I guess, and asked if I would be interested in uh, being a part of a reality TV show where they were giving first time filmmakers a chance to produce their own film uh, with a small budget in a small um, time period. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I, I was excited. They said they found, I've, I've been involved in film and working on scripts, other people's scripts for a long time. And I've written two, I, at that time I had two other scripts that I had written and she had gotten a hold of one of them. And then she, once she read it, she loved it. And then she looked me up and Googled me and did some research on me and found out all the things. She said, you'd be perfect for our show uh, that we're, we're producing. And, um, and so I was excited about that. Um, but uh, when she told me the parameters, which was each of the five filmmakers would be given uh, $7,000 and 14 days to 
shoot, <laughs> direct, to create their film, to produce their entire film. And, you know, that was the, 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 the parameters of the, of the reality TV show. I started thinking about the two scripts that I owned and I said, they're too big for that. I don't, right. I don't see how I could force fit them into those uh, parameters. Mm-hmm. I said, I got to write a whole new script. And, um, and so I knew because of just the, where we were uh, uh, in, in, in our country, the tone of things that were going on, uh, Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. uh, different things that were happening. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted to tell a story that had um, a moment in black history that was relatively unknown to most people. Uh, right. That's just what I was, I wanted to tell. I said, I want to tell a story that maybe most people don't even know is, is a story to be told. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know what the story was going to be. I just knew I wanted that. And then I was in St. Louis and I was just at the I was at the bookstore and just randomly looking for books, not looking for inspiration, just looking at different books because I always buy books. And I came across a book called Blood at the Root: uh, Story of Ethnic Cleansing in America, and that title just jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading the back of it, and it talked about this uh, town, Forsyth County, Georgia, where um, for 75 years, from starting in 1912 to 1987, it was 100% white. What happened in 1912 was, at that time, the population was around 6,000, and about 1,000 th- of them were black. Well, a white woman was raped and murdered, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, pinned it on three black men. They were arrested and lynched within a few days. They never went to trial. Mm-hmm. And then that wasn't enough for the Klan uh, and, and the residents. They went to every black family's home, knocked on the door and said, you've got about a week to get out of here or we're coming back and we're killing your whole family. So within a, a few weeks, all the, the entire black population of Forsyth County, Georgia, uh, packed up and left, left their homes, left their land, left their uh, farms, you know, their cattle, everything just packed up and left. And, and, never returned for 75 years. It was 100% white. And mm-hmm. then in 1987, there was an attempt to uh, um, reintegrate. And, and, you know, there was a group of uh, uh, activists who wanted to, you know, stand up and say, no, this is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they attempted to do a brotherhood march for peace um, in Forsyth County. Uh, and about 200 people showed up to do this march. Well, they were met by over 2,000 clans members mm. uh, that chased the, shut the march down. They chased them out, threatened their lives, throw rocks and bottles, you know, chased them out and, and, and shut the, the rally down. Well, a week later, they, that made national news. I don't remember. It was 1987. I don't mm-hmm. remember it, but it made national news. Um, and then a week later, they did another rally. And over 20,000 people showed up because this time you have like, Mm. you know, um, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and all the Mm -hmm. heavy hitters getting Mm -hmm. involved. Over 20,000 people showed up for for the second rally. And um, and it was a success and and a a success in that they had the rally, the march (laughs) successfully and peacefully. Right. What came of that? Absolutely nothing. Mm. (laughs) Pretty much nothing changed. Mm. They had this powerful moment but for whatever reason, missed the opportunity for true impact. And for me, the impact would be you have these families who lost their land, had their land stolen from them. Mm -hmm. And Forsyth County, Georgia, now in 
2020 is one of the wealthiest counties in the country. Mm-hmm. There are multi-billion dollar companies that now own this land that mm-hmm. they lost because the banks and the state and the county took over that, the, you know, when you abandon your property, right. you, know, you lose it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you go to the clerk of court's office, there's, you can find documented evidence that these people once owned this land, but that legally they have no rights to it. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, and, and, and so I wanted to tell this story because for me, you know, they deserve, uh, they, they deserve payback, you know, uh, for what, what they lost. I mean, there's so many, and that's, and Forsyth County, that's one example. That story has repeated itself right, right. all over the country mm-hmm. and not, you know, and, and you know, black communities, and let's not even talk about Native Mexican American, communities too. Mexican, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, uh, you know, but at least we need to have the conversation and the realization of uh, uh, of what has happened and, right. and 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 where we can possibly go, especially for such a time as this now, when when everybody's talking about it. What you're just saying, I mean, the conversation, I mean, this is not a new conversation, but one of the things that we've been hearing a lot lately is reparations, right? And what you're talking about is pushing us to think about, you know, how we need to do this and how, and maybe think about how we can do it, right? Um, And and people, you know, just... uh, having people think a little bit more deeply about what that means, right? Uh, I just briefly um, uh, saw a conversation with a, with a black woman leader, and she talks about, um, you know, when, when the subject of reparations comes up, um, uh, especially white people say, well, but I didn't own slaves, but I didn't do, you know, and it's, and it's not about that, right? It's about participating and allowing certain things to continue to happen um, or to remain. Um, And, and, and that makes us complicit, right? And so what can we do to change that? What can we do to offer something, right? To bring, to give um, credit or the land back or something that would, you know, uh, make up for some of the, the, the hardships that, that this communities have faced. Right. So for mm-hmm. that community in particular, I'm like, okay, you can attach, you can do the research and figure out who owned what land, how much that land was worth then, how much it's worth now. Right. You know, those multi-billion dollar companies that now own mm-hmm. that land and the fortune 500, how about they say, you know, we're going to give uh, free, co- we're going to pay the college, college yeah. of all the descendants of Forsyth County or something, mm-hmm. you know, in some form of the, the problem, one of the challenges with reparations is how do you quantify right. uh, what was lost? And in Forsyth County, Georgia, you can easily quantify it because mm-hmm. it's attached to land ownership right. and, and, and the value of that land. So that's one of the places where, where you can easily say, connect A to B. Of course. Um, so the, re- the release of this film, of course, is very timely, given our current times when we're fighting a health a pandemic and a pandemic against racism. Mm-hmm. Um, how might this film help us have conversations that challenge us to really reflect on the value of humanity, the dignity of human life, and the Black Lives Movement? So, um, First of all, I, I want to say we um, we sh- what what ended up happening was 
um, I wrote the story. Um, and then the producers uh, got back in touch with me and said they were going a different direction. So I was never on the, the reality show. So mm-hmm. I, what I, my response to that was, well, thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have never told me you could shoot a film in 14 days for $7,000 because now I'm going to go ahead and do it without video. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and the next email you get from me will be an invitation to the premiere of our film. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in Columbus. Uh, it was going to be shot in Austin, Texas. I stayed in Columbus and and put together a team of of hungry filmmakers, and we shot it in 19 days for ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And um and the goal was really to sh- have this film. We we really shot it as a demo. If you've mm-hmm. seen the film or watched the trailer, you can you can tell it's kind of raw. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know that these were all first time filmmakers that one love the story and mm-hmm. two love the opportunity to be a part of a feature film. It's a two hour film, right? Mm-hmm. And so they want those opportunities don't come along too often here in Columbus, right? And, and so um, we 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 produced the film to be uh, our, our original goal was we're producing a demo. Uh, version so we can go to Hollywood, show it to studios and say, look what we did with $10,000. Imagine what we could do with 1 million or, mm-hmm. or, or 5 million. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what we were prepared to do with the film until COVID hit, shut everything down. Um, you know, I, and then, um, but then everything happened with George Floyd. And I said, I said to the team, I said, we have to release our film right. to the public because this story needs to be out there and part of the conversation um, and part of the momentum and part of the fuel to the fire that we can't let this fire go out, you know? Mm-hmm, uh, and, mm-hmm. and so let's add fuel to the fire and let's have our film be the fuel. And the fuel that we're adding is the, like the film is called the right to remain because when it comes to uh, oppression, when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to systemic racism, no one has the right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing different in this season of uh, 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 of revolution right. is the 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 um, call is if silence is consent. So white people who have been very comfortable in their ignorance, ignorance is no longer blissful. You can't turn a right. blind eye. You can no longer turn a blind eye to to racism, oppression, and police brutality because it's right in your face. And, and you see, I and see you how, cannot be neutral yeah, about it either. Neutral, mm-hmm. And you can't act like you don't know mm-hmm. um, uh, anymore. There, we, you may have been able to live in this bubble uh, existence where you don't see, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil when it comes to racism, oppression, and pre- police brutality. You can't do that anymore. So that's why a lot of so-called well-meaning white people, like you said, it's not, you know, my family didn't know, uh, I'm not racist. I have, you know, friends that are black and da 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 And well, that's fine. Um, but it's time for you to speak up. Mm-hmm. We've been speaking, we've been marching, we've been protesting for, you know, hundreds of years now. And it's your time to step up. You no longer have the right to remain silent. Right. Um, and, and and so that's the part of the conversation we wanted to contribute to. Most of the time when race-related films come out, they're normally targeted towards uh, black audiences. Uh, our film is for white people. It's, you know, we, we, I mean, it's for everybody, but right. the is for, 
for, for them. If there's going to be change for the better, you have to be a part of that change. If you mm. don't like how uncomfortable you feel right now, take the steps to towards self-healing, self-realization mm-hmm. that, you know, we have biases, biases and tendencies and, and, and attitudes and behaviors that can maybe uh, uh, intentionally or unintentionally contribute to oppression of others. Uh, acknowledge that and then mm-hmm. move forward. The only way you heal from sickness is, number one, you got to acknowledge that you're sick. Right. And, and so that's what's happening, I think, in our country is an acknowledgement that we have a sickness and an illness that mm-hmm. needs healing, and it's going to take all of us. And what's um, what makes it even more powerful right now is that, in my view, is this this is not a, a U.S. conversation; it's become global, and and it's it. I mean, we can't miss this opportunity to right. to really make push for change, right? Right. Right. And and yeah, it's long overdue, and and you know, it's just an honor to be a part of it. Right. Um, Javier, we can watch the film at, uh, on the website called therighttoremain.com. Yeah. And I was browsing through the website. And as an educator, I was excited to see that um, there are um, discussion questions or guides for the film. So for viewing, and you, you suggest viewing it in different, in different um, subsections or episodes. Right. Um, so tell us how we can engage and bring others into dialogue about what this movie is trying to teach us. So what would be an ideal way to uh, maybe study or engage with this film? Because like you said, um, the film, um, and like you mentioned earlier, the work that you do or that you're interested in doing has to have some sort of impact, right? Um, so when we're watching this movie, we're not just passively consuming entertainment, right? right. It's actually something that should make us uncomfortable, um, mm-hmm. that should make, should make us, um, you know, self-reflect uh, on the things that we might or might not be doing. Right. Um, to, to support a system of racism. Um, right. so, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the reasons. So if you go to the right to remain, uh, dot com, uh, you can, there's a, you can click on a link to watch the entire full length, uh, mm-hmm. film, or it's also the option. You have the option of watching it in episodes, five episodes that are about 25 average, about 25 minutes long each. And, and then, like you said, there's a dis- discussion guide that you can download uh, that asks questions and mm-hmm. has discussion prompts um, for, for, for each episode. So what I would love, what I, um, and, and I've heard that it's happening, um, is for people to have watch parties. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, and it's easier to, and, and we wanted to do it in episodes so it'd be kind of easier to consume because it is a lot of heavy uh, content. Um, and just, you know, now in this time when there's so much heavy content with it's the negative news that, you know, from, 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 you know, whatever news outlet you watch, or, you know, if you're scrolling through too much, uh, social media, there's a lot of heavy, um, you know, heavy content that can, you know, uh, that can be toxic, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, we're consuming all this information right now and we have to be very mindful of uh, not only how the information and what's going on affects us, but also how it's infecting us. And so I understand that it's, right. uh, so I say, let's, you know, let's chop it up into five episodes so people can take it in doses. Um, but, and mm-hmm. then, 
you're able to pause after watching a 25 minute episode and have a conversation with your with your Zoom party. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the folks, you, family and friends and classmates and colleagues um, and, and use the discussion guide uh, to really process and 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 dissect what, what, what you just experienced. But again, our goal is to move people from inspiration to action to outcomes. And so the, mm. the, the last questions, um, I think it's the last three questions on the discussion guide are, are, you know, as an individual, what can I do new, different and better uh, to address the issue of systemic racism in my home, school, community, uh, country? Uh, as an individual, as a group, what can we do collectively? And then as a country, what can, what can we do new, different, and better? So it's, it's always that, what is the call to action? What, and, and doing some self-reflective, uh, mm-hmm. uh, taking some time to self-reflect and say, what can I do personally? And then what can we do collectively, new, different, and better to bring it into systemic racism and oppression and police mm-hmm. brutality? Right. Javier, um, is the plan still to submit or to bring uh, this, uh, to bring a, a attention from Hollywood uh, yeah, to watch yeah. it? To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, we put it out there. It's free to watch online. You know, the, the, the dream come true uh, would be for it to get enough attention and buzz that, that, that the studios uh, come, come looking for us versus mm-hmm. us going to look for them. Right. Uh, so, because uh, we'd still love to reshoot it um, and, 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 you know, do it at the production level uh, uh, of a, you know, uh, quality um, Hollywood feature film. Best case, the big win, I guess, for me would be uh, like a, um, instead of doing a two hour feature length film to do like a, a six part series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mini series for Netflix or Amazon mm-hmm. where we can. Right. where we can go all the way back and tell the story of what happened in 1912. Right. Like go do a deeper dive into the, the, the full context of, uh, of the story. And by the way, we wrote a fictional story, like the story you see in, mm-hmm. in, in the right to remain is fiction. It's, it's the backdrop that's true being, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, for Forsyth County and, and the, uh, basically our story is, um, what happened between the first March and the second March. Um, Mm -hmm. So that window of time, and actually it was a week Mm -hmm. between the first and second and historical accuracy is that there was one week between the first March and the second March. We stretched it out to make it one month between the first March and second Mm -hmm. March so that we could give our story time to develop. So our story is about the attempt by the Klan uh, and, and the community to stop the second March from happening, what mm-hmm. they did to try and stop the second March from happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, but, but our story is 100% fiction. It just happens to have uh, this true story as the backdrop. Right. Maybe there's a nomination there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, I definitely think that this film will be, uh, getting a lot of attention because of, of the content and, and the invitation to engage with it, right? Not a lot of movies. Um, uh, I mean, here we're talking about Hollywood and how we would like for it to be, you know, in this like wider stage. Uh, right. But at the same time, um, very few Hollywood movies invite us to engage in this critical thinking, right? Right. Um, right. It, it, and push us for change. So uh, part of me wants it to 
remain as it is. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and, you know, but I understand. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't mind that either. Um, again, I didn't make the movie to make money. I, I'm, 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 I, I make money and I'm fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't need uh, a contract. Mm -hmm. If this movie were to have a million views or, or you know, hundred thousand or whatever, and conversations happen, right? That's a win. That is, that's ultimately the win. Is mm -hmm. if there was impact as a result uh, uh, of the film. All the other stuff uh, is secondary. Mm -hmm. um, um, but ultimately, we just want people to engage and, and be part of the conversation, and more importantly, part of the solution. Right. Right. Well, congratulations for for this film for making it and. Is it 19 days with yeah. $10,000? <laughs> yeah. um, it is possible, and it is possible to, to tell such a compelling story. Um, Javier, is there anything else you would like to add um, to this conversation about you or your work? Yeah, well, I mean, this, this is my life. This is my work. This film came um, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I really, when it comes to work and projects that, that I work on, um, I kind of keep things close to close to the vest until it's time to share it with the world. So mm -hmm. when we released it, a lot of people that know me and feel like they have a personal connection to me, they're like, wait, what? When did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so a, a lot of people were really surprised um, that, that, that I produced this film mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. um, and they were also uh, some people were surprised about, uh, the content, um, and, and the delivery, it's an R rated film. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I work with young people and, and my comedy, I do clean comedy. Um, and so for that kind of, uh, uh, language to be mm -hmm. used right. in, in, in a project that I'm associated with, mm. um, uh, well, some people were taken aback and they were like, wait, how did you, I mean, you, right lot of you know uh, <laughs> raw language mm -hmm. but you know what I, I I tell people is you know there are so many people in our country black people brown people uh, you know even poor white people that live a profane that have profane experiences mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. and 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 to uh, use profanity only makes sense when their existence, right. when their entire existence is profane. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to use profanity. It would be an injustice, I, I think, to try mm -hmm. to Disney this mm -hmm. film. You know what I'm saying, and not use raw language that that is that 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 to to you know to tell the story. Right, right. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, Javier, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. I'm glad I had the opportunity to share. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Sí.